We take a very, very conservative approach to Amazon's terms of service. We want to make sure that our sellers understand what the terms of service are and what we believe does and doesn't work. Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into the Global from On A Bus show. I think that's what I should call this show, uh, Global from Asia here, as that's what I'm doing right now. I am on a bus, again, crossing from Hong Kong into Shenzhen, China. We had an amazing management meeting with the EnterChina.co team, uh, management style, uh, preparing for October and the rest of the Q4. There are just plenty of events happening this trade show season here in the Pearl River Delta. There's the Global from Asia Smart China Sourcing Summit, where we'll have a panel, as well as Chris Davies' Amazon FBA seller meetup, and of course, Enter China's Canton Fair meetup. You can get all that info and more. I made a special page for all these amazing events at globalfromasia.com slash cantonfair. And I'm going to try my best to keep that updated as more events and awesome things happen. So you can check that out every trade show season, even if you are listening to this later on. Okay, and now for this week's show, it was a fun one. I was invited, actually by Chris Davier again, thanks man, to a massive Chinese e-commerce or Amazon seller-specific conference at the end of August in Shenzhen, China. I'm talking like 2,000 Chinese power sellers or FBA sellers. And of course, there was a few of us foreigners there too. I did a video blog, if you're interested in seeing it, at mikesblog.com slash vlog035. And you can check that video out. Um, but for today's show, I, while I was at the conference, I met up with Jeff Cohen from Seller Labs. He's a co-founder there and he's an amazing speaker and presenter and marketer. And we did a podcast together at on the exact same day. So he shares tactics and the evolution of how sellers handle feedback with Amazon, gives some tips and insights and warnings and and maybe some, some looking into the future. He also has some cool prizes for us. So if you want to head on over to globalfromasia.com slash episode 143, you can also get into that. But I will let Jeff explain at the end of the interview. Well, let's tune in now. All right. So we are here in Shenzhen, China, and we have an American guest. Well, I'm American myself too, but Jeff Cohen from Seller Labs. Thanks for being here, Jeff. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, so you're still catching your breath after uh, an amazing speech here at this uh, event about for Amazon sellers, and you're part of the Young Youngpo group uh, of of association here. Do you want to maybe first introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, so my name is Jeff Cohen. I've been selling in e-commerce for over 14 years. I uh, started off in the retail e-commerce space, launching a site called textbooks.com. Got into Amazon selling in about 2012. Or 2012, when I met some of the other co-founders of Seller Labs, we were uh, doing retail arbitrage through USPS auction, buying uh, skids of books and products at uh, USP. I, I always like to joke that it was the stuff that literally fell off the truck, you know, of the postal service and uh, built that business up to a multi-million dollar business. And we were looking for some software to expand our business. And we realized the software that we had created was actually better than a lot of the software in the market 
uh, back in 2012, 2013, and really moved at that point to, to turn Feedback Genius, um, our, our primary first product into the market, into a, a platform product that any Amazon seller could use. 2014, we actually shut our warehouse. Uh, we stopped being sellers, kind of moved into full software development. Today, we work with over 10,000 Amazon sellers across the world, uh, do about $3 billion on the Amazon platform combined with all of our sellers, and we have about 36 employees, uh, four seller labs, um, you know, mainly in Athens, Georgia, but, uh, but, but a few of us are in other locations as well. Very, very exciting stuff. Um, so have you, you come to China before or often? I know some of your other, your other colleagues have been here. I've met some. Actually, I've never been here before. Um, so for those of you not familiar, we are part of a group called Yangbo Group, uh, which is based in Shenzhen and is kind of targeting the community over here in Asia, uh, both American and you know Chinese and Asian and all sellers, I guess, that are over in this area. And it really was an opportunity for Seller Labs to put our product on the ground with the people who are out here. So we have a local representative, Noah Hirschman, who runs the group, uh, does a lot of speaking around the area, helping people, and you know, represents both Seller Labs and other companies like uh, Merchant Words or uh, uh, Cynthia Stein for, for reinstatement or uh, Marketplace Ignition. So it's kind of a, a way for us to have a very strong local presence without being here. But no, this is my first trip to China. I'm very, I, I'm super excited about it. It's been fun. Very cool. Very cool. So welcome then. And uh, so you, you had a really great presentation and I, I was taking a lot of notes during, during it. Um, so we were talking about, I guess a lot of times I've been here a while and Chinese sellers are sometimes known as kind of using a little bit gray to maybe black hat kind of ways to, to, to use this system. So I think it was a really good, uh, that you shared with them and you were saying like Amazon has been actively like suing sellers. Maybe do you want to share about, about that? Yeah, so starting in 2015, Amazon launched their first lawsuit. Um, they really were kind of trying to go after an update through terms of service. But in 2015, they, they sued their first company. And they went after about three websites. And those websites were blatantly selling product reviews, right? So it was, if you went to the site, it actually said, like, buy a product review, 50 bucks, right? Um, and so that was kind of the first tactic of the lawsuit. They kind of moved on from that and they started suing Fiverr and sellers and and gig owners on Fiverr who were saying, you know, for $5, I'll write you a product review. Um, and then what was really interesting was Amazon actually started suing sellers, sellers who they knew were purposely soliciting product reviews in exchange for money or never shipping products to the buyer and, and then writing a review or creating their own seller accounts and leaving reviews. And so Amazon started targeting that. And, you know, Amazon has made it very clear that the integrity of their system is is the most important to them and they're going to work to protect it. And, you know, I'm, I think you're right. The, the culture of China is different. I don't want to, like, try to stereotype or anything like that. But I think in general, the culture of the Chinese seller is different than the culture of the American seller. There's an expectation in China that you will leave a review and it will be a five-star review. That's why the review rates in China are 100%, right? 
when you don't leave a review, sometimes the company will actually just write the review for you. Um, and so it was really important when we were speaking to the people at this audience that we were saying, hey, listen, these are what you guys are feel is okay in your current culture. But if you want to come into this culture, you better watch what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I have, I've have. i been here a while. I, I uh, have a lot of Amazon sellers have been on the show, this very show, and that are my friends, of course. But I think they even agree the culture in China is more transactional, like you get this free product, you give me a five-star <laughs> review, and uh, which leads into that other article, which was really viral all over the internet with the, the American consumer that left a one-star review on a, on a, probably would have been any kind of, he, maybe he didn't know it was a Chinese manufacturer, but he left that one star, which was uh, amazing. And, and maybe you can share for those that yeah, so essentially what happened was a buyer bought a product. He left a one-star review. It was a pretty scathing review about the product. But if you actually read it, it, it seemed like there was issues with the product. And one of the things we like to say with Snagshot when we talk to, to sellers is good products get good reviews. And if you get a bad review, there's probably something wrong with your product, and you should think about that. What the manufacturer did was they started going after the buyer demanding they update or take or remove their review. And not only is that a violation of Amazon's terms of service, but this guy then went and started posting that on Reddit. And when it got posted on Reddit, it went viral and everybody started upvoting his bad review. And he got, I I don't remember the number, 2,500 or so upvotes of his product. It basically killed the manufacturer and the product uh, to where they had to stop selling. And I don't know that that's a very common case of what occurs, but um, it's definitely a tactic that is used and needs to be, um, you know, the Chinese don't understand that they can't just reach out and talk to everybody that's out there. I usually use my wife, my she's Chinese, as a, as a kind of a gauge. But she says, yeah, and other Chinese friends said this is kind of common on the Chinese marketplaces. Like they, the sellers will reach out yeah. to you, and that's what I hear too. I, I I've heard that as well. So so yeah, of course, if if you're a Chinese seller and the U.S. or maybe Western culture is is not is a little bit shocking, I think, to get somebody to out of the internet, maybe because your real his real name was showing. So I guess they probably like reverse looked up his name and found. Yeah, I mean, it's possible as a seller for you to find some of your buyers. Um, you can't necessarily re- match every review to a buyer, but it is possible to find some. And um, you know, and I, I just tell sellers in general they should not be they should not be contacting their buyers directly. You can use the buyer messaging system on Amazon to contact them. You could use a tool like Feedback Genius. You can email them directly. But when you start calling them or you start, um, you know, direct soliciting them in some way, shape, or form, you're putting your account at risk because if that. I mean, I guess in two ways, right? One is the viral way of going to Reddit and really just kind of starting a shitstorm, right? For lack of a better term. The other is if you, if they actually call, call Amazon and say, I'm being harassed by this merchant, Amazon is going to just not think twice and suspend you. Yeah. So it's just, just not worth it. Uh, I don't think West, you know, Western sellers need to think about, even think to do something like that, but it seems like Chinese uh, culture is a little bit. I, I actually was mobbed after my presentation. And, and one of the guys said to me that he calls his customers and he asked them to leave reviews. And I, I told him that he shouldn't do that. And he said, well, I know I shouldn't do that, but you know, I just do that because, uh, you know, I just do it. And I was like, well, at least know that what you're doing is going to lead you to trouble, right? That's what, that's what I always say is 
my job, our take at Seller Labs is very simple. We take a very, very conservative approach to Amazon's terms of service. We want to make sure that our sellers understand what the terms of service are and what we believe does and doesn't work. Your job as a seller from that point forward is to decide how you want to run your business. And if you choose to do things to break the rules and and to run your business, then understand there's consequences for doing that. But yeah, I can see Chinese not being shy because it's well, it's directly related to their their profit margins, their money, the reviews directly. And I like your shirt. I don't we we're not video blogging, but we can put a picture. We up. can put a picture up. Yeah. Famous on Amazon, five star. So yeah, I mean, it is true, right? I mean, reviews directly relate to rank. Well, maybe of course there's other parts in this algorithm, but the Amazon algorithm is very simple. Right, we could. There, there's a lot of complexities to it, but it, at its base, it's very simple. Sales drive the the rank. Right, sales are number one because Amazon wants to sell product. Reviews, reviews, they really become your backup. Right, they so Amazon looks at your sessions, and your sessions are going to tell Amazon how many people are looking at your product. Then they're going to look at your sales. How many people actually bought your product? Then they're going to look at your reviews. Reviews become your validation that the product the person bought was what they wanted. And so Amazon is not looking for a one session to one conversion to one review, right? A natural curve is like a thousand sessions to a hundred reviews. I'm sorry, a thousand sessions to a hundred purchases to 10 reviews, right? That That's a... 10% across the board, we'd all be very happy with that. I know some of us have higher conversion rates, but that's what Amazon is looking for. And so your reviews, that's why Amazon made an update. One of the updates Amazon made was that they changed and said that review that recency of reviews was more important than the number of reviews. So two years ago, a thousand reviews was awesome. Now Amazon wants to know, uh, what have you done for me lately, right? They want to see the reviews that are coming in today for your product. Great stuff, which, you know, we, we've we heard that you mentioned super URL and not that many people raise their hand out of, there's like 2,000 sellers here, but... I think they were lying. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, that's kind of what I was meaning. Uh, I think there's a couple of, uh, there's a few of us uh, foreigners or non-Chinese here, but it's definitely heavy on the Chinese sellers. And yeah, I don't think that they would admit it, but, uh, or they, or they don't know what, what it's actually, they use it, but they don't know what it's actually called. That's true. That's true. But I definitely think people in this room more than said, uh, they were using it, use it. So like you were saying about, it's kind of like a, it's like a, it's like a marketing or sales funnel, right? But it doesn't look, nobody has a hundred percent conversion on their listing page. You know, you don't send traffic searching this keyword, going to this page and buying 100%. So if it doesn't look... So I'm sure Amazon can tell if there's 100% of this traffic is coming to be. Yeah, I mean, I guess we, we, all make, we all make our guesses of what we think Amazon can and cannot tell, right? Like, none of us actually know. And I like to be very, criti- I like to be very critical of myself and making sure that when I speak to people like, you're, like you and your audience that I'm careful in saying, I don't know more than you know, right? Like... I'm a seller. Uh, we're a software company. We work with lots of sellers. We, we make our own interpretation of Amazon, and that's what's important. But I like to just use basic logic, right? And basic logic states that only a certain number of people that see my product will buy it, and only a certain number of people that buy my product will leave a review. And so 
if I'm doing something to artificially change those numbers and I change those numbers dramatically, I put myself at risk. If I can actually, if I can actually do something to artificially change those numbers, but I can maintain those numbers to look natural to the curve that Amazon's expecting, then I lower that risk of what's out there. So I don't ever suggest to people to do things that I believe are against Amazon's terms of service, but I just tell people to ask themselves that question. Like, are you doing something that would seem natural in the overall scheme and world of what's happening? And if you're not, then you should consider yourself being a little bit more risky than others. True. And then while you were swarmed after your your presentation, there were some sellers... You know, I, it's true. Like, I mean, I'm more of a Google. I, I, I like. I'm still a Google guy, marketing. But uh, you know, there's always people gaming the system. So they're they're saying, well, my competitors are still doing it, or my competitors are negatively affecting my listing with negative reviews and things like this. But you know, I think it's 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 a short. Like, I think you're you know the short term versus the long term. Ultimately, I think you as a seller has to understand your risk and know what your risk tolerance is. Um, there are lots of things that sellers are doing to that are nasty when they're competing with other sellers, right? They're they're upvoting bad reviews, they're writing bad reviews, they're um, putting in you know inauthentic complaints to Amazon, right? There's all different things that are happening that are changing the ecosystem. Amazon is starting to realize and understand that, and yes, it sucks. Like I don't know what else to tell people, and. It, it, it's hard as an Amazon seller because Amazon does give the preference to, this, to the shopper, not to the merchant. And there's no silver golden bullet that gives you the exact answer of what to do with all these things. But you have to run yourself a clean operation. You have to understand what your risk is and what your risk tolerance is and then run your business accordingly. Got it. And then... Yeah, like people are saying, oh, what about verified reviews, non-verified reviews, and then it's, you know, it's 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 really hard. You know, I think uh, just I kind of think like backlinks with Google is similar in a way. Well, and if you're a Google guy, I always like to say that you know Amazon is like where Google was ten years ago, right? And so if you think about all the things you used to be able to do to game the system on Google. What Google did, right? So Google has this guy, right? For those that don't know, his name's Matt Cutts, right? And any of us that came from that world, when Matt spoke, you listened, right? He's the he, he's God, yeah, he's right? God. He is the God of Google, right? And so he would give you these. He would he would just come out and say, "Hey, if you're using Link Farm, stop," right? Well, Amazon doesn't do that, and it's really a shame because Amazon comes out and says, if you uh, intend to manipulate the Amazon sales algorithm, blah, 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 and now you have to sit there like lawyers and debate what Amazon's intention of their terms of service update are. And so, but if you follow what happened with Google, right, because if you don't study history, then it's bound to repeat itself. If you study what happened with Google, Google came out and they warned everybody of a pending change. Then they came out and they implemented that change. And then they went back, they gave you a period of time to clean yourself up. And then they came out with the, uh, the great Noah experiment, right? Panda, penguin, and, and every other animal that was out there. And they started back cleaning everything. The same thing is going to happen at Amazon. And if you don't believe it, you're just lying to yourself. So you can sit there and say, well, Amazon hasn't told me that super URLs are bad. Well, I could, for, for what it's worth, I've sat in the room with Amazon and they've told me that super URLs are bad. Amazon collects everything. 
Amazon knows when your family buys your products. They know when your cousins buy your products. That's why they suspend people for reviews for families writing their products because they, they know that. How do they know it? I don't know. But when Amazon wants to, they can go back at any point in time and say, anyone who you know was using a super URL and we have identified it in this manner is going to be penalized by X. And they can go back and create those penalties in the exact same way that Google did. And you know as well as I do, if you got a panda or a penguin update, you were hosed for a year or, or longer until you, until you cleaned it up and you know you had to disinvolve your links. And that's the same thing we're seeing on Amazon. So when Amazon comes and they either give you a policy warning or a violation, you have to go back and say to them, oh, well, I had 1,000 reviews and these 350 were reviews that um, were written by my family and friends and these hundred while I just paid for these. And you have to tell Amazon everything you did wrong. And if you don't, you don't even have a chance. And the things that we're seeing that people are doing are just crazy. We can see it. Like we can see when we look at the reviews of a seller that they'll have a hundred reviews on a product, but they only have 25 purchases of the product. So 75% 75 of their reviews were not even for purchases. Then you go in and you start looking at the reviews, right? And you'll see on the reviews that somebody opened up an Amazon account, wrote a review for three or four products, and and they they were all written in a one to two day time period, and and then hasn't written a review since then. Amazon made an update to their algorithm in July of 2016, which changed the way they allowed, or changed who they allowed to leave reviews. So it required, prior, you just had to have an Amazon account. Now you've ha- you have to have made at least one purchase on Amazon for a minimum of $5. So this change directly went after that attack. We saw this exactly, right? So Amazon made the change to their terms of service. Then they went back and started cleaning everything up. And in their cleanup, they went and they would wipe out all of the old reviews. So you'd wake up in the morning and 200 of your reviews would be missing and you'd be wanting to know why. And that was the reason. That was their their cleanup process. Yeah, really great, really great insights. And also it makes me think of like, like comparing Google, I like this kind of comparing Google and Amazon. Like with Google, like maybe you didn't get caught for buying backlinks, but if somebody in that backlink network got caught, it would trace back to you because yeah, that happened. That we see that happening in Amazon as, as well, right? So they so they go and they bust the reviewer, and then they and then they're going to bust all the merchants that that reviewer had worked for. Yeah. So even if you think you're being smart, you know, to somebody else in that network could also affect it. So I guess we talked a lot about bad ways but of course amazon knows you need to get reviews and you have it's hard to get or i think it's hard to get organic reviews i have some books and i'm not currently selling product now but i have books and you're begging you feel like a beggar you know like even this this podcast i'm begging people to leave a review on itunes because supposedly you know the itunes reviews the more google you know the more ranking you get in itunes so your organic is a little bit more a lot more difficult because people I think usually leave a review if they have a bad, more of a bad experience than a good experience. So I think that's a general tendency, right? Um, I think, I mean, you, you saw me on stage and you saw at the end of my presentation, I asked the audience, how did I do? Did I meet your expectation? I asked them for feedback. Uh, three months ago doing presentations, I didn't ask that question. And I thought to myself, man, you run a company that's all about soliciting feedback and you don't ask for feedback when you're on stage. And so 
you know, sometimes you, you got to practice what you preach, right? So everyone take a second right now and go to iTunes. And if you like this podcast, leave a review. And I think what happens is, is your, your loyal audience who listens to you says, oh, I'll do it later. And they never get around to doing it. What we like to tell people is that you need to create a relationship with your audience and then you need to service them prior to asking them to do something for you. So that's really where our tool feedback genius comes into place. And so if you can communicate with your current customers and you can enhance their customer experience, right? So you don't just like send them an email. It's like, leave me a review, leave me a review, leave me a review. You have to actually create a relationship with your customer. Come up with a great subject line, right? Subject line is going to determine whether they open the email in any way, shape, or form. Basic internet marketing still applies to this side of the world. Now that they've come in there, ask them, you know, give them something, so if you, with the example I love to use is if you have a, a kitchen product, um, tell them what products they're going to need to buy at the store to use your product when it arrives. Then when the product arrives, send them an email that includes your favorite recipe. And then two days later, write them and ask them if they've had a chance to use the product or cook a recipe and to give you feedback, right? That is now expanding your brand, it's expanding your relationship with your users, and you've now created a conversation where they now want to do something for you because you've done something for them. Got it. Is Feedback Genius available for iTunes podcast? <laughs> no, we'll leave. Let's leave reviews to your podcast. <laughs> no problem, no problem. But I know other podcasters, I guess not as big of a market, of course, as Amazon. But uh, this is this been really, really great. And then, yeah, I mean, a little bit more... You're mentioning Feedback Genius. Do you want to maybe introduce some of your other other products? I mean, we're getting towards the end of, end of our show. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, you know, we just met um, maybe like t- an hour or two ago at this conference, so I wasn't uh, even planning to record a podcast. I'm, I'm happy to share with your audience, to share with you, um, not necessarily on here to pitch our product, but you can go to sellerlabs.com and uh, see what we have. We've got snagshout.com. Uh, we have a new product called Scope, which is a product research tool and Feedback Genius. We'll put some links in your show notes for your users. Um, maybe uh, we'll figure out a way to give away a couple t-shirts. I like to, uh, I have to figure it out with international, but we can ship international. The the post office works both ways, right? So um, how about this? Uh, We'll give away three shirts and leave some show notes, leave some questions in the show notes or or comment um, about how you like this podcast. And we'll we'll then, you know, pick uh, randomly from the show notes and, and pick three winners and we'll ship some shirts off to you guys and, uh, we'll share, we'll share the love with you. Very cool. Great. And, uh, yeah, of course, feedback is appreciated. You know, I always ask for it too. And thanks. Thank you, Jeff, for coming on and enjoy the rest of your time here in Shenzhen, China. And I guess the, the, the background noise is picking up so we can wrap up, but thank you guys. And, uh, thank you to all of our customers out there. And if you have any questions, you can always connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, WeChat, or, uh, any of the other millions of social channels I try to keep up with. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Great. And, uh, yeah, I think they're going to kick us out soon anyway. So that's a wrap. Thank, thank you again. Cheers. Okay. Thank you so much, Jeff, for sharing. That was a lot of fun. And if you guys want his cool t-shirts, uh, we also have a picture up on the blog. You can see it as me and Jeff were able to get a photo together with him wearing it. So go on to globalformasia.com slash episode 143. Like I said on the show, we don't get that many comments on the, on the podcast posts here on the blog, but it would be awesome if some of you guys uh, take them up on his offer. 
And uh, we'll give it a week or two before we pick some cool people to get some free t-shirts. We'll mail them out. So I am still on this bus and I'm looking out the window to some shipping containers getting loaded up and going around the world here and just love all this action and while I sometimes get stressed out with this border hopping it's, it's what I choose to do and I hope you guys are loving what you're doing and taking action in your business you know sometimes we get overwhelmed but we just got to take it one step at a time and hopefully make that a forward motion step forward but of course sometimes we get knocked back a little bit and uh, discouraged but that's that's part of the journey of an entrepreneur or a business owner and the key is just to be disciplined and consistent and just keeping doing it so you know every day matters and let's just make the most of it i am gonna enjoy the rest of this bus ride and enjoy the rest of your day again to uh leave an amazing comment on today's show uh global from asia.com slash episode 143 143 shows everybody and we got many many more coming your way each week tuesday 10 a.m bye-bye To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.